listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Online at BethanyNaz.org. It is good to be together today. Do you agree? <clears throat> it's not every Sunday that we have the mayor of Bethany with us, but the Westmoreland family is here. Welcome, Mayor. We're glad that you're here with us today. Yeah. So we start a series today called Words Hurt. I, I heard another sermon series uh, online the other day with a very different title, and I think I like their title better than mine. And the title of their series is Me and My Big Mouth. I thought that was pretty good, you know. So um, how many of you were taught the, ner- the rhyme as a child, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me? The truth is that words do hurt. We were taught the rhyme to teach us not to retaliate when harsh words were, you know, thrown our way. But, but the truth of the matter is words do hurt. Now, you know, depending on your personality and a lot of other things, um, we say thousands of words every day. And so maybe the person who says the fewest would say around maybe 7,000 words a day. And the person who talks more would maybe say around 20,000 words a day. Um, so depending on your personality and your gender, um, and that's all I'm going to say about that, um, you say thousands of words every day. So out of all those words that you say in a given day, what percentage of those words have the potential of hurting someone? I think it's a great question. So of all the words that I will say today, what is the percentage of those words that have the potential of actually hurting somebody, cutting someone pretty deeply? I think it's an awesome question just to kind of ponder, just to think about, just to let it kind of roll over in your mind for a while this morning. Out of all the words, I'm going to say thousands of them today, what percentage of those words have the potential of hurting someone? So James has this concept, and we're in this book of James for a while, and I think the concept has deep meaning. And let me just put it on the screen, and you can go ahead and open your Bibles if you want to the book of James. But this is the basic idea that James is going to unfold in this passage, and that is a small item can control the greater whole. Now you might have to, you know, think about it for a moment, but, but what do you think he means when he says, you know... A small item can control the greater whole. Let me talk to you about it for a minute. How many of you have ever gotten on the back of a horse and ridden a horse? Just hands really high in the air. You notice I'm looking for a lot of participation this morning, right? Um, So if you've done that, you realize that, um, that when you hold to the reins of a horse, the reins are connected to a bit. And so when you think about how big a horse is, Horse is a big animal. When somebody says, I could eat a horse, I'm so hungry. I mean, number one, I've never tasted horse, but that would be a lot to eat. So you think about the size of a horse, but the size of a bit is very small. And so it's this idea that a small item can control the horse. When my dad was teaching me to ride a horse, he said to me, you decide where the horse goes. You've got the reins in your hand and the reins are attached to the bit and you determine which direction the whole horse goes. So let me give you another idea or two. Think about a, uh, a ship. Big ship, right? And James keeps moving to something really small to something really big. He keeps making that contrast. 
But there's this little rudder in the back of the ship. And the little rudder is actually what determines which direction the ship goes. So you got big ship, little rudder, relatively. But the rudder is what determines the direction. So let's, let's think of some more, okay? Um, spark. Little spark starts big fires. And so you watch the news and you see out in California the forest fires. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of acres. And it all started with one little spark. You understand what I'm saying? Small item can control the greater whole. Here's a good one, okay? Look around you. Just seriously, look around. See all the people? Congregation, big congregation. Look up here now. One preacher. Okay? Small item can influence, control the greater whole. And James talks about that. He says, those of you who are preachers and teachers, you have a lot of influence. And when you compare yourself to the larger congregation, you seem kind of small, but you have this position. And you have authority and you have influence. And you can guide the greater group. Last one, you ready? I'm not going to ask you to stick it out. Just keep it in your mouth. But when you think about the whole body, all right, think about how small the tongue is. Big body. And I'm not going to say any more about that. <laughs> Little tongues can make a huge impact. James says you can corrupt your own life with your own tongue. And you can devastate others. Something small, big impact. And so it's this, it's this concept that the small item can control, influence, impact the greater whole. Something really small, big influence. Okay? So we're in this series with James. And, um, and James has already said a few weeks ago, remember these words, everyone should be quick to listen, but really slow to speak. I mean, it's a concept that could change your life. If all of us learn to be quick to listen, but really slow to speak, it could change our lives. And so I'm just going to give you a phrase, and I want you to tuck it away, and I want you to just kind of let it influence uh, everything that's said today, and I just want you to think about this. How do I talk to and about people? Okay, just, just kind of ask yourself the question. To just consider, just kind of let this soak. Okay, this is just going to soak in. How do I talk to and about people? Boy, do I need to examine the way I talk to and about others? Do I just need to think a while this morning about how I talk to and about people? Big, big Influence. So let's go to James chapter 3, verse 1. You ready? Dear brothers and sisters, and so lots of love here, lots of compassion. I'm trying to help you. I love you. And just the fact that he says sisters is a big deal because until, until the church of Jesus Christ comes along, you understand women weren't really valued. They would have never been addressed in a letter like this. But the church elevates women, okay? So, dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church. And so you wonder if there was this move. I want to be a teacher because a teacher has 
position or influence or authority. You know what I'm saying? For we who teach, so James identifies himself as a teacher, we who teach will be judged more strictly. And right there, I just say, well, then I don't want to do it anymore, right? Indeed, we all make many mistakes. Can I get a witness? For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. If I could get this right, can you imagine how it would change my life? And then he begins with these four analogies. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is small, a small thing that makes grand, big speeches. But a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among all the parts of the body, read it with me, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness. Corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire. For it itself is set on fire by hell. I mean, let me read it again. It is a whole world of wickedness. Talking about your tongue, your speech, okay? It corrupt, corrupting your whole body. It can set your whole life on fire. For it is set on fire by hell itself. I mean, aren't those strong, strong words? People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish. But no one can tame the tongue. You don't have the power to tame your speech. I want you to note that he is not saying it cannot be tamed. He is saying you can't do it. God can do anything. God can change you. You can't tame your own tongue. He's not saying God can't. It is restless and evil and full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. He's kind of moving back to this idea of double-mindedness. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth? Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. And, and just, just kind of soak this in. This is good. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives? Or does a grapevine produce figs? The apparent answer is no. No! And you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. So this, this is God's word for us today. Okay? I grew up being taught a song, and you probably did too, and now you've probably taught your children and your grandchildren, and we're teaching Sadie this song. And it's a song that says, Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. There's a Father up above. He's looking down in love. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Second verse talks about what? If I hadn't appointed, would you have gotten it right? <laughs> be careful, little ears, what you hear. And then be careful, little hands, what you do is correct. Be careful, little feet, where you... And the last verse. Oh, be careful, little mouth, what you say. you got to sing it with me. You don't want this to be a solo, I promise you. Oh, be careful, little mouth, what you say. For the Father up above, 
looking down in love, so be careful, little about what you say. So why does James feel it's so important for you to understand that something really small can make such a big impact? And why did we teach our kids to sing songs like those? And, and here's the reason why. There's destructive power in uncontrolled speech. You and I have the ability to cut another person to pieces with our words. Another word way to say it is that words can really hurt. I mean, the destruction and the damage that we can do to a person's life with our words is overwhelming. So we, we live in this new world. The world changed. Do you understand what I'm talking about? You understand that just a few years ago, there was no such thing as social media, right? You understand this is a new thing in life. I mean, just a few years ago, it did not exist. And so if you're 18, 17 years old, you understand this has only been in your lifetime was never there before. It's a new way to communicate, a new way to talk, a new way to deal with people. And here's what I want you to understand about social media, okay? When you are saying something on social media, you might want to write this down, okay? This is really good stuff. When you are saying something on social media, you ready for this? You are still saying it. Those are still your words. And I don't understand why people feel like they can hide behind social media and I can say things there and it's not like I said it. And we say things on social media that we would never say to somebody's face. Do you know the people come into my office and talk to me about what hurtful things other people in the church? I go to church with these people and do you know what they said about me on social media? But they never came and talked to me about it. They just threw their hurtful words out for everybody to read. So did you write it down when you are saying things on social media? You are still saying it. So I want you to think with me for a few minutes just about the most hurtful thing that anybody has ever said to you. What is it? And if there's not something that readily comes to your mind, you might not have something. I had to think for a while. I don't really have a memory of something really hurtful that was said to me. Um, well, it's not true. I do. I don't think about it a lot, I should say. I guess that's the truth. Can you think about something somebody said to you that was very hurtful? It cut pretty deep. Let me ask you a second question. Can you remember a time in your life when you said to yourself, Man, I wish I hadn't said that to that person. I would give anything if I would have never said that. Man, if I could take that back. But one slip and a friendship, a relationship is damaged. And once the words leave our mouth, we can't grab them back and reel them in. They're just gone. And you have been hurt by other people's words, and you have hurt people with your words. And it's not just what you say to two people, it's what you say about people. So what about the person who talks to you about somebody else and your response is, well, I had no idea. I'm shocked. Thought he was a good guy. Didn't know. 
And what they've really been able to do is just kind of de-elevate that person in your mind. Just bring them down. And now I think much less of that person than I ever did before. And it's all a result of words that were spoken to you. So, I'm just going to lay something out here, okay? Who you are today, you have been shaped by the way people have talked to you and about you. Every one of us. You hear a narrative long enough and it has an impact on you. So maybe the things a parent said to you that was hurtful in life, those words have shaped you. A sibling, a teacher, a friend. But every pancake I've ever eaten has had two sides. And in the same way, the positive words that were spoken to you by a parent or a teacher or a sibling or a friend have shaped your life. It's just the way it is. And so James just dives right in. Can we talk about the word hell for a minute? Because the word hell, did you notice, was there? And so I know it's a word that maybe you don't talk about a lot, but it's in the Scripture, so I think it's okay to talk about it, right? So hell was this word that James uses that actually referred to an actual physical place in a valley south of Jerusalem. It was known for a lot of reasons. In the Old Testament, there was a king named Ahaz who slaughtered his son there in that valley. In the New Testament, it becomes like a garbage kind of a dump. There was often fire burning the garbage there. It was a smoldering kind of place. But somehow it was used in a way that was more um, of an analogy to a location for evil or a source for evil or a stronghold for Satan. It was often thought of as this judgment, this place that uh, you'll be sent to in judgment. So, So when James says that You know, the tongue is set on fire by hell. He's talking about the source of evil itself. And so when our speech is uncontrolled, when it is influenced not by the Spirit of God, but by the source of evil, the source of hell, then we can tear people all to pieces with our words and we can corrupt our own lives with our words. See? And so he dives right into this idea of people who are teachers. You want to be a teacher? James says you ought to think twice about being a teacher. So maybe maybe you're a teacher. Uh, I never ever in my life thought I would become a preacher or teacher. Uh, never never thought I would, uh, when I was young, never lean toward... If you said, do you want to teach when you grow up? I said, no, I don't want to teach. Um... That wouldn't have been something I'd wanted to do, but now I, I stand up every Sunday and try to help people apply 
the Word of God to their lives through instruction, which is kind of interesting to me that this is what God has me doing. It's what I believe is a calling on my life. And many of you who are teachers would say, I believe that I'm called to teach. It's not something I just, ooh, I want to teach. It's more like I have this wooing, this calling. I feel like that, that I'm being obedient to God when I do what I'm doing. And he's saying it's not something that you just kind of want to do just for your own sake or glory or to get some kind of position or power. He says the truth is you're going to be judged more strictly than everybody else. And he gives a couple of reasons for it. He says, number one, uh, we all slip up. Everybody does. Everybody makes mistakes. Everybody goofs up. And, and, and you're probably saying, well, I didn't know that Pastor Rick ever goofed up, but maybe he has. You've just never been around when I've done that. And that didn't go over at all. That wasn't funny. But <laughs> the second thing he says is that you often goof up by what you say. And a teacher's main instrument is what? Their speech. So think about it. That uncontrolled tongue. Well, 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 the source is not the Spirit of God. It's not being controlled by God. It's being controlled by evil. Right? Or he's also dealing with an issue in the church in those days, and, and they were false teachers. There were false teachers. And, well, obviously, they're not being led by the Spirit of God. They're being led by the source of evil, hell, set on fire by hell itself. And so I don't think that's something you should just kind of be anxious to get involved in. I think it's only if God's drawing you there, if that's what God wants for you. The question is always, what do you do, right? So James has given us all of this information, so what do we do with this? So let me just talk to you about that for a few minutes. Once in a while, I'll talk to you about my mother. Um, I try not to do it too often, but in the last six years I've been here, I've brought up my mom to you. Her name is Cecil. It's actually Cecilia, but her nickname is Cecil. I've never heard anybody ever call her Cecilia. And uh, my mom is one of those people who, um, well, sometimes I'll hear people say this about other people. Uh, you never hear them say a bad word about anybody. You know, I think, wow, that's huge. You know, that's, that's a big statement. And often I scratch my head and say, really, never? Never said a bad word about anybody? Or they never, they never talk unkind to anyone. You know, like, wow, that's a big statement, you know. Really never? Most of the time? My mom is truly one of those people who amazes me with what God has done in her heart in, in regard to her speech. And sometimes I just think, I think maybe she was just born really good. Because I think with all of God's grace that He'll give me in my lifetime, I'll never measure up to my mother when it comes to that. And so my mom, you know, I, I remember calling her one day and there was this person who came into our life uh, our family's life and um, and I was struggling because uh, in my mind there's just a lot of sin in this person and um, you know it just wasn't right the way everything was happening and and um, and I was processing and I'm a pastor and I said to my mom one day I said mom I don't know quite what to do with this person you know what my mom said well, you of all people. <laughs> she said, I can tell you what we do with this person. We love them. We love everybody who walks through that front door. It's not our place to judge them. 
you and I will just love them. And we'll let God worry about what's going on in their life. I said, I'm sorry, Mama. She just had this, this way about her where she just she wasn't going to engage. And my mom and dad, they always had non-Christian... Well, where'd you meet these people? At a restaurant. And you go to dinner with them once a week? They, they don't go to church. They're not Christian. No. They're a lot of fun, though. And they just... You just, you just love. You just love everybody. They, 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 they bought into some deep theological stuff. And here's what they bought into. That every person was created in God's image. So how, how, how are we going to treat God? You know, they just bought into this idea completely. I remember my mom sometimes would get pushed into a corner, you know. And uh, one family member in particular, and I won't say who it is because they'll probably watch the video, would sometimes just kind of push my mom, wanting her to say something about somebody, you know. And uh, this person is a bad dude, and we all know it. And, and finally, you know, just, well, well, what do you think? They would ask my mother, you know. Well, what do you think about him? And, and my mother, and here was my mother's response. When she was finally just pushed into a corner. We all know they're not, not good people, right? And some mom, come on, what do you think? You know what my mom would do? She would take a deep breath. And she would say, I think we just need to pray for them more. That's pretty good, huh? She wouldn't take the bait. I'm not going to cut somebody apart with my tongue. I'm not going to talk to or about people in a negative way. Just not going to do it. And so James, he, he gives us these analogies... And, and he admits that, you know what, getting to the point of your mama, Rick, it, it almost feels like it's impossible, you know? And you think about the power, and he compares it to a, a big horse and a little bit and a big ship and a little rudder. And what he's really doing with that, he's saying, you know what your tongue has the power to do? It has the power to choose a path for your whole life. You can become that person that cuts people to pieces with your words by what you say to them and about them. I mean, this could become your life. This could become you. And then he moves into this other analogy, this small spark, little spark. Everything's little and then big, right? Big fire. And then he gets into this you know what? You can tame animals, birds, reptiles, fish. And this idea that God has placed man over all creation. It's impossible for you to tame your tongue. In fact, it leads him to these words, okay? For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. I mean... Just ponder on that this afternoon. If you get this surrendered to God, 
If God cleanses your heart of this stuff, you're on on an incredible path in life. So let me me just kind of bring it together here, okay? So, so, So why would I seek to live this kind of life, right? I think that's where we have to go, and that's where James goes. So Jewish people, devout Jewish people, really devout Jewish people prayed many times a day, okay? So, so you had different levels of being devout, and, and some Jews would pray up to 18 times a day. And every prayer began the same way. You ready for it? Here it is. Blessed be thou, O God. Eighteen times a day. Blessed be thou, O God. And you know where he's going. Eighteen times a day you say, bless God, but out of the same mouth you curse the people that he created in his own image? What is that? How can that come out of the same mouth? How out of the same mouth can you bless God 18 times a day and curse people that He made in His own image? How can you do that? What what even is that? I don't even understand that. That is like two people and living one body. That's like two minds. That's like double-mindedness. Back to the conversation in chapter 1. What what even... what, what, What are you? And so here's... Here's the last verse I'll, sh- I'll remind you of. Can a, can a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives? A grapevine produce figs? I don't think so, no. You can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. And I heard a preacher recently in this very room, standing right here, say, you can only be who you are. So that brings us to the end. What hope is there for me? And this is the hope. If I can only be who I am, and what comes out of my mouth is what's inside of me. Because that's what Jesus said, didn't he? Didn't Jesus say, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks? The only thing that comes out is what's in there. That's it. Can't come out if it's not there, right? You can't pour it out if it's not in there. What comes out of the mouth is what's in the heart. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. But Jesus came. And He gave His life on a cross. And on the third day, He was raised from the dead. After being buried in the tomb. And there is power in His life and death and resurrection. And it's a decisive victory. And we can win the battle by being raised to this new life with Jesus. And there is power for us. And we can have our hearts cleansed. And our heart can change. I'm just telling you, the reason my mama can't say it, it's just not in there. And God can change our hearts too. And that's where our hope is. So, so how do I get to that point? I need God's grace, right? And, and we pray for grace, and we ask God for grace, and there are ways where God uh, channels grace to us. Uh, things in our lives become a means of grace, like studying the Word of God, spending one-on-one time with God, being at church, 
serving, giving, all those things. God, we talk about practices, how God will use them to change you. Another is this right here in front of me. Receiving the Lord's Supper together. And eating that bread and drinking that juice in that moment. Receiving the grace of Jesus. For power to control what comes out of our mouths. And so this morning, I feel like it's this very contemplative time where, where when we eat and drink together, we pray, Lord, give me your grace now, I pray in Jesus' name. Change my heart so that what comes out of my mouth is pleasing to you. Amen? Okay, let's stand together. And those of you who are going to service, would you come now to do so? So we practice open communion, meaning you don't have to be a member of this local church to, to receive the elements. I would, I would challenge you in this way. If you are sincerely seeking Jesus, seeking God's will for your life, please join us. You'll receive two cups as they come by. One is stacked in the other. You can take the bread out of the one cup, put it in your hand, stack them back if that's most convenient, and then hold them in your hand. And after everybody has been served, we will eat and drink together, okay? The Lord bless you as we receive His grace together. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at BethanyNaz.org.